The House and Senate will both come back Monday and stay in session through Thursday. This week in the House, they'll return tomorrow with the first vote set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to take up the combined rule for H.R. 1187, the ESG Disclosure Simplification Act, and H.R. 256 to repeal the authorization for the use of military force against Iraq resolution of 2002. In addition, the House is scheduled to take up 22 bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday and Wednesday, the House will meet at noon for votes, and on Thursday, the House is scheduled to conclude its votes by 3 p.m. Last week in the Senate, they came back in the session on Monday and voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Julian Javier Niels to be a U.S. District Judge for the District of New Jersey. On Tuesday, the Senate voted to confirm him to that position. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on and then to confirm the nomination of Regina M. Rodriguez to be a U.S. District Judge for the District of Colorado. Then the Senate returned to consideration of amendments to S-1260, the Endless Frontiers Act, rejected an amendment offered by Senator John Cornyn of Texas. Then the Senate agreed to a motion to waive all applicable budgetary discipline regarding amendment number 1502 as amended, which was offered by Senator Schumer in the nature of a substitute. Then the Senate voted by 68 to 32 to agree to the Schumer Amendment in the nature of a substitute. Then the Senate took up the amended bill itself and voted to pass it by a vote of, you guessed it, 68 to 32. Then the Senate voted on a motion to invoke cloture on the motion to proceed to H.R. 7, the Paycheck Fairness Act, but failed to invoke cloture. The measure lost by a vote of 49 to 50. It was the second time in this Congress that Republicans had blocked a Democrat bill with a filibuster. On Thursday, the Senate voted to invoke cloture on and then to confirm the nomination of Zahid N. Qureshi to be a U.S. District Judge for the District of New Jersey. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Katanji Brown Jackson to be a U.S. Circuit Judge for the District of Columbia Circuit. And then they were done. This week in the Senate, they'll return tomorrow with first vote set for 5.30 p.m. At that time, the Senate will proceed to a roll call vote on confirmation on the nomination of Katanji Brown Jackson to be a U.S. Circuit Judge for the District of Columbia Circuit. Then the Senate will take a roll call vote on a motion to invoke cloture on the nomination of Lena M. Kahn to be a Federal Trade Commissioner for the unexpired term of seven years from September 26, 2017. In addition to the Kahn vote, the Senate Majority Leader also filed cloture on the nomination of Kiran Arhandas Ahuja to be Director of the Office of Personnel Management for a term of four years. Now, Representative Omar insults the United States and Israel. Jewish Democrats take umbrage. On Tuesday of last week, Democrat Congresswoman Ilhan Omar opened her mouth and inserted her foot by posting a tweet that suggested the United States and Israel were guilty of the same types of terrorism practiced by Hamas and the Taliban. Following a Monday hearing of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, where she had asked Secretary of State Tony Blinken where victims of attacks by the Israeli or Afghan governments can go for assistance, Omar tweeted, quote, we must have the same level of accountability and justice for all victims of crimes against humanity. We have seen unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and the Taliban, end quote. Jewish Democrats expressed their outrage over Omar's apparent assertion of moral equivalency. On Wednesday, a dozen of them, led by Illinois Democrat Brad Schneider, issued a statement, quote, equating the United States and Israel to Hamas and the Taliban is as offensive as it is misguided. 
ignoring the differences between democracies governed by the rule of law and contemptible organizations that engage in terrorism, at best discredits one's intended argument and at worst reflects deep-seated prejudice. The United States and Israel are imperfect and like all democracies at times deserving of critique. But false equivalencies give cover to terrorist groups. We urge Congresswoman Omar to clarify her words, placing the U.S. and Israel in the same category as Hamas and the Taliban, end quote. Omar eventually did so, but the episode left a bad taste in many Democrats' mouths and could lead down the road to problems for Speaker Pelosi as she works to keep her caucus united. With just a four-member majority, she cannot afford to lose any votes if she intends to pass the radical Biden agenda. A reminder on the Corrupt Politicians Act, we expect to see the Senate move to take up S-1, the Corrupt Politicians Act, next week. Now to ProPublica and the IRS. On Tuesday, the left-leaning news site ProPublica published a blockbuster piece based on a massive leak of confidential tax information regarding some of the world's wealthiest people. The outlet said that it did not know where the information came from and had not sought it out. You can find a link to the piece in the suggested reading, but I can save you the read with this summary. Really wealthy people are not just rich. They're also smart enough to hire the best accountants and tax attorneys to structure their finances so that they can, in perfectly legal fashion, avoid taxation. So it should come as no surprise to anyone that they minimize their tax obligations to the point that in many cases they literally pay not a single penny in income tax. That's because in the United States, we do not tax wealth. We tax income. Most of their wealth comes in the form of the appreciation and the value of the assets they hold. And that's not recognized as income until the assets are sold and a capital gain is realized. Of course, that's not the point the authors wanted to make. They wanted readers to come away from the piece convinced that rich people just aren't paying their fair share, whatever that is, and therefore they should see their taxes increased. By week's end, the FBI, the Department of Justice, and the U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia had opened investigations into the leak. And just as importantly, Republicans on Capitol Hill were using the IRS leak as an argument against President Biden's proposal to spend an additional $80 billion on the IRS over the next decade so the organization can hire more agents to go after uncollected taxes. Now to the Trump DOJ and leak hunting. On Thursday evening, the New York Times reported that as its investigators tried to plug leaks of classified information from the Trump administration, Department of Justice officials obtained subpoenas to require Apple to hand over data from two Democrat members of the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell. In addition, family members and House Intelligence Committee staff also had their records subpoenaed. Former Attorneys General Jeff Sessions and William Barr and former Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein all claimed they knew nothing about the subpoenas. None of the searches apparently yielded any evidence that anyone associated with the House Intelligence Committee had been leaking classified information to reporters. Senior Senate Democrats are now insisting that Sessions and Barr be brought in to testify. I wish it were otherwise because I think this is going to be little more than a snipe hunt but I think this is going to be the new anti-Trump scandal. The liberal media will use this as a means to distract from Biden's troubles and to continue their assault on President Trump. Now to the COVID origins investigation. Jennifer Van Lahr, managing editor of Red State, 
published her own blockbuster piece late Friday night entitled Defector Provides Evidence That the Chinese Military Orchestrated the Creation of COVID-19 and Lab Leak, end quote. The piece reports that according to a man who is believed to be the highest ranking Chinese defector ever, now working with the Defense Intelligence Agency, the coronavirus was engineered in a laboratory in the Wuhan Institute of Virology and released from that lab. I've included a link to the piece in the suggested reading. On the immigration front, on Thursday, Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced that the state of Texas would build a wall along the state's border with Mexico. He said he would discuss the plan in more detail this week. We'll be paying close attention and we'll report further as developments warrant. Finally, to infrastructure. The official Biden Capito infrastructure talks ended in a five-minute phone call last Tuesday. According to Senator Capito, who had been leading the negotiations on behalf of Senate Republicans, she knew the dialogue was over when Biden continued to press for massive tax increases as the pay-for long after Republicans had made clear they would not agree to raise taxes. But there was a second round of conversations going. Elsewhere in the Senate, five less radical Democrats and five moderate Republicans were continuing talks of their own over an infrastructure package. By Thursday, they announced they had come to an agreement on a package that would spend slightly less than a trillion dollars, with slightly more than half of it being so-called new money, that is, money that had not already been previously appropriated for other purposes. The first problem with the agreement, though, is that it does not contain tax increases, and the White House has made it clear that it will not agree to an infrastructure deal that does not include a massive tax increase. The second problem is that the group only has five Republicans, not 10. And assuming every one of the 48 Democrats and two independents who caucus with the Democrats vote for an infrastructure proposal, they're still going to need 10 Republicans, not just five, to vote to overcome a filibuster. That's our Washington Report for this week.